are listening to the Salt Churches podcast. Here you can listen to messages, inspiration, and lessons learned about planting microchurches all across the nation. Thank you for tuning in. To find more information, you can visit us at www.saltchurches.com. This podcast is brought to you today by Salt Church's founder, Parker Green. Welcome to On the Road to No Place Left. This is Feeney, and I'm driving as we learn to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. A few episodes ago, I interviewed Kyle Pearson about Iron on Irons. He made a comment about the four fields being the kingdom growth plan. Well, this episode with Parker Green of Salt Churches circles us back around to that kingdom growth plan. We want to have a big vision that only God could make happen. But without a clear pathway there and simple steps to take, that vision just stays on a wall and looks good. Nothing happens with it. So listen in as Parker explains a clear path to Salt's big vision that looks eerily similar to the four fields. What's been the best part of your week? Best part of my week was probably six days ago I celebrated my sixth anniversary. That's good, but it just so happens to be my son's second birthday as well, so it makes things a little bit more complicated. He stole our anniversary from us. But um, I was thinking about lying to him on his birth certificate, just telling him it was the 21st and no one would even ever know. That's awesome. But we had a a great dinner out together and just got to review and think about what God has done and what, you know, we've partnered with him over the last six years in doing, and it's, we fit a lot of life into six years. It's been great. And just, uh, thankful that my wife is pregnant again with our third so thankful that she was able to keep dinner down mm. good yes been there <laughs> what a huge praise congrats to you on the new one tell us about what you and your wife are doing uh, just even where yeah. you're at what you're what you're working towards what you want to see God do so we're we're in Orange County Southern California and we uh, run a church that's really a group of micro churches or a micro church network called salt churches uh, we felt the call of god probably i guess it's three just over three years ago now after uh, my wife and i fasted and prayed and he wouldn't leave us alone about california mm. and i was in a process of really just being in the gospels and in acts which i kind of consider an extension of the gospels i don't know if that's a that's good exegesis or not, but <laughs> it seems like a like an extension of the Gospels to me. And I I couldn't leave for six months. I, I just there was nowhere else in the Bible that was had that flavor for me at the time. And I was just asking the questions like, well, what are we doing? Um, we're in ministry at the time, so running a couple campuses in New York City, in Manhattan. Like, so are we making disciples? Am I personally making disciples? Are we doing what the master is asking us to do? Are we walking in the power he walked in, his apostles, his early church walked in? And are we seeing the kind of movement that early church saw? And especially living in New York, I asked one of the guys that I was mentoring, discipling at the time, like, so what do you think you could do to win a city? Like, And really, you have to make church smaller in order to make it bigger. Like, what if we could fill every apartment, every coffee shop, you know, even churches that are killing it out there, some of the biggest 
if you fill a Madison Square Garden seven times a day, you're not even at 1% of the city yet. So you don't hit a tipping point. And that's astronomically expensive and they'll never get it unless two basketball teams and a hockey team decide to play somewhere else. So, so for me, I was just like, man, uh, you know, since I was about 12 years old, I've wanted to see a church of over a million people. And I'm seeing, you know, or hearing really rumors of what's happening in, in China and India and other places wondering, you know, what if that's possible here? What if it's possible in North America? And I truly believe it is. Maybe, you know, I'm an idealist, but I think to start something like this, you kind of have to be, not really think about what's going to happen tomorrow. (laughs) So uh, we packed up our bags and, um, not packed up our bags, we sold most of what we had, gave the rest away, and then filled our Jeep with our possessions. I drove across the country with my dad and my dog and my wife and my three-month-old son um, and mother met us out here um, about a week later. And here we are, we started, got out here in November 2016, started our first gatherings in January 2017. Why California? From Obviously there's plenty of people in New York City too, and there's plenty of people in California, but curious if, if God led in that. Well, I don't know, it's probably a, a mixture of things. I, I really felt God's pull out here, um, the old wells of the Jesus People Movement. My dad was saved in the Jesus People Movement even at Calvary Chapel one of their tent meetings. There was just a draw to it for us as far as some of those old wells, as well as God seems super interested and curious about Southern California right now. And I don't know why, but I keep seeing these almost generals of the faith keep dropping ministries and ending up here. Um, And they're not really sure why either. And when that stuff starts kind of happening, when people post on Facebook and Instagram and stuff, we're moving and we're not 100% sure why, but God told us, I'm like, okay, we probably made the right decision. Mm -hmm. We don't seem crazy. And we just want to see something like that happen again. And um, there's 38 million people plus in California. So the direction that we go here tends to um, bleed across, across the country in a lot of different ways, just because there's so much pull on the direction the state goes so yeah and i think jesus just likes the ocean better than anywhere uh, uh, <laughs> like uh, seems like that's where he spent most of his ministry so <laughs> i'm just trying to be like jesus to yeah now to be fair they i think speaking of exegesis i'm pretty sure the sea of galilee was smaller but uh that's <laughs> just <awesome>. slightly <laughs> you said you kind of when you moved and then when you started your first gathering can i ask how intentional was that was that we got here we know the plan it just took a few months or it was like god you called us here hey show us what's next we're not even sure (laughs) we just started man we knew we were gonna do micro churches but like it was like we had no idea what we were doing we didn't know anyone else was doing this in the continental u.s like we just were like okay like god's asked us to like no place left or other microchurch movements or anything like that, we were just completely unaware of because we're in a totally different world of doing church, legacy church. So for us, it was like, we're just going to do it. We're going to try. And we hate, like, I hated it. It was the worst at first. Like, <laughs> like, I was trained at Hillsong for three years. That's where I went to Bible college. So, like, for me, like, everything I was looking at was not excellent, was not on time, was not clean, was not tidy, was not. Like I couldn't engage with worship because it was not as good as I would have liked or, you know, why is that person praying so long? It's like, (laughs) and immediately when you start with something like that, you like draw the weirdest people in or people that are idealists that don't know what it's going to be like to have a kid in the room or 
distraction or but I was like I was already bought in and I didn't really have a choice mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point. So I was like, we just gotta so what really that first six to eight months did is position me as a learner. Mm-hmm. And I was yeah. just like, okay, I need to find everything there is to know about making this work. Yeah. Um, and then adjust it to our context. That makes sense. And go ahead and I mean give us a definition of micro churches. A micro church for us is a group of let's say ten to about thirty people max that are on mission together following Jesus. So doing what he asked them and making disciples. And when we define discipleship in salt churches, um, essentially we're teaching people how to have an unbroken fellowship with Christ. That's the ultimate goal of discipleship. So how to find them in the word, how to find them in your life, how to find them in your work, how to find them in anything you put your hand to, you're sleeping, you're waking hours, um, having unbroken fellowship with him. I poked around on your guys' website as I was prepping for this, and I love that you guys offer training just to set up people to lead a, a micro church. And uh, hopefully, we know we'd want to birth additional churches out of that. I've talked a lot on this podcast about no place left training and kind of a four fields framework. But where I want to go with this question is whatever that training is, you can kind of <laughs> you look at all of you you get it. Hopefully, we want we want to get it from the Bible, like you said, the Gospel Acts. Right. And then we get to this point. I know I remember sitting through a four fields training. I'm sure it'd be similar, whatever it would be, is like, what? Okay, now I get it all kind of, but it's like, man, what do I do next? Like, you just, how do I do it? And I first heard at that training, though, somebody laid out just this, the idea of like, you have a big vision. Maybe it's idealistic, but we have to start there. What's God want? And then what is a clear path to that big vision? And then what are simple steps we need to take? So I just kind of would love to hear you comment on that. Is that something that you whether thought through or you happened upon? And and what does that just even look like for you guys? Yeah, the funny story here is that I never heard of Four Fields ever, or I think it's T for T. Right. The roots of Four Fields are as well. They kind of intermingle. And I was like, okay, so we need a process to to plant churches. What's that going to look like? And I mean, I could send you the manual that we put together, but it's so funny because it ended up essentially being four fields with different words. Mm-hmm. And then when I ran into the NPL guys out here, I was like, what in the world? Someone else thought of this. I thought God was like giving me like this special revelation, <laughs> like nobody in the world had ever yeah. figured this out before. So our four step process is really simple. We call it Sequoia church planting model just because um, that's a personal place for me where I feel like I've found God in a lot of ways at Sequoia National Park. And the way that they grow and the way that they stay and the way that they multiply, I was like, church has to happen like this, you know? So our first step is basically entry, what you'd call entry in four fields, but we called it prayer and the fire of the Holy Spirit. So prayer walking your neighborhood and praying for the lost in your community and strategizing on ways to reach the lost. And the next step was the seed of the gospel. So sharing the gospel. The next step was the soil of discipleship. So you, you know, every salt church is going to look different, but the soil is the same. It's discipleship. And then gathering them together, um, which would be the growing tree, which is church. Really, <laughs> we, we stumbled upon four fields in our secret place. Um, and God was gracious enough to give that to us until, you know, we met some guys that could help us flesh it out. We could pick up some more tools. Wow. Well, that just affirms, I want to jump in that 
a couple episodes ago, a guy named Kyle Pearson said the kingdom growth plan. And I love that. It doesn't really matter what you call it. I actually have another friend that wrote like a movement manual through studying scripture and same thing. You could like lay the four fields on top of it. So that's a good, and it's a good reminder. We don't hold the four fields up as this like be all end all, neither of you, your training manual. We just say, well, we found these in scripture and we're trying to live them out. So just give some handles to it. I know you guys have a few different, there's obviously Orange County, but then a few different places I saw on your website, Costa Rica, Chicago. What does that look like to whether you send somebody there or you just find somebody that wants to, to start a salt church? How does that like practically break down? I, I heard those steps, but just you know, lay that out for us. How do they kind of walk through that of having a vision? And then now you have the pathway that you just laid out. So we have a church in Colorado Springs. That's the other one. Um, that was our first like outside the city that we live in plant. And really we got lucky blessed i guess you could say with that church we had a couple of great elders there like that you know through a friend of a friend's parents ended up eldering that church and doing a, a fantastic job and making disciples and we didn't really have a process at the time except for what you know vision so out of the vision essentially ended up producing this process because we just want to saturate whole cities with the gospel be from house to house to house, a church within 10 minutes of every person in North America. Really, what we do is a, is a training, and that what's, that's what tends to draw the leaders from the city. So they're all locals. We don't really send people. It's expensive and like a little silly to try and plant someone in a new city. We, we like to go and find people that are already there <laughs> and start right. churches with them. And Costa Rica starts in January, well and truly. They're starting to gather there. And then Chicago starts in a couple of weeks. The, the trainings we set up drew the right kind of people to start SALT movements in those, those new cities. Um, and then they start to walk through that process through the manual. We coach every, every week with them. And then every month we're on a Zoom call with everybody from all the churches. And you see a lot of peer learning happen there. So really, I'll just drop a question unless there's something really pertinent that needs to be taken care of. And they'll just talk to each other and learn from each other in the process. And it looks like continuing the work, really, those, those new churches, what ends up happening is they gather workers for the harvest. And what we're doing is we're working on a plan to multiply out from those initial movement hubs. So finding more people, more places, and simplifying the process to or aiming for a 10-year-old level in order to continue to multiply. So almost like a fee, field manual type multiplication. And we've already seen that starting to take place with discovery Bible studies, with what we call power evangelism. So go out on the streets and praying for people. I love hearing the same, I get what you already said, but I love hearing the same tools uh, just phrased differently. So these, these people that you find, are they working full time? Do they end up raising support as missionaries? What, what does that look like practically just at, at this base level? Like, yeah, Definitely bivocational. I'm the only one along with my wife that's on full time support raising. Everyone else is bivocational. And until we see them multiply into multiple churches, five plus churches, we don't really see a need for support raising at this point. And they could support raise through SALT. Uh, we're, you know, 501c3 and all that good stuff. But it almost, in a way, with new church plants, it can put you at a disadvantage to pull people out of their workplace. I mean, we started, in the last four months, we've started, I think, four new discovery Bible studies or something like it 
in workplaces. So I'm like, why would I remove you from the harvest and <laughs> make you a bean counter somewhere <laughs> in yep. the barn? You know what I mean? That's great. And then uh, just practically, what? how do you even connect with these people then if they're working? Is that, and you're across how many time zones now? Uh, three, I don't even know where Costa Rica is. What does it's that look like? I think it's Costa Rica Central. But okay. We're still nailing it down because they don't have daylight savings because they're smarter uh, than us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Honestly, all I can say is the Holy Spirit does what he likes and he grows his church and Jesus is the head. And when it comes to meeting people, almost every instance when it comes to planting microchurches like we've been doing, it has been a total God thing and not something I could have orchestrated. From meeting Troy through a guy named Rick, and Rick met a guy in Spain that was doing surfers ministry that has a church in Florida called salt. And they stumbled upon us because he just did a random internet search being like, I wonder who else has the same like church name as us. And they're like, Hey, it looks like these guys out in California have a similar vision, you know, to what you guys are doing. You should meet up. So we like emailed back and forth for like a month or so and ended up having bad Mexican food together. And like everything like kind of went from there. You know what I mean? Now we're like all the best of friends and working together and it's amazing. Wow. That's the, with, I mean, with Costa Rica, it's through a missions organization that my wife went on. We were going to have this couple go out and plant in Costa Rica with us through that missions organization. They ended up pulling out of that for some health reasons. They're actually here in California now because they, they moved out here in the end. But they connected us with the guy in Costa Rica that they were going to be working with. And he's like, oh, yeah, I have like 40 or 50 pastors that I invest in that are all talking about starting churches. But they all think they need a building. They all think they need, I really want to be a part of what you're doing. And then with Chicago, they came all the way out to Los Angeles or out to LA greater area. We were in Newport beach at the time doing the, the summit. That's what we call our training. And they're from Chicago and they had a vision for the city in their hearts. And they mm-hmm. came out and training for five days and they're back out there now. And then they're going to start in a couple of weeks. So None of those things were like, hey, man, what's up? I've known you for a while. I want to start a church. It was like right. totally like random and like God just doing his thing and people that are mature and like walking in the word. And yeah, just, I've just been super blessed. That's all I can say, man. Like God mm-hmm. is just honoring obedience. One of my favorite authors and podcasters is Steve Addison. And he I've heard him say it so many times. Like, this is just a work of God. We get to join him in it. But that's a great example. Even personally, like the probably the most faithful Timothy I have that's like most like sharing the gospel in his workplace was a guy we met with an outreach push. And the truth is, if I had knocked on his door, he told us later, like he wouldn't have answered. He only knocked because or he only answered because we had trained high school students. And he's like, well, these kids might be in trouble. I better open the door. And like, <laughs> man, I heard your your big vision, which I love. So, so awesome. And I, I totally agree. We need we need church everywhere to to get to a tipping point for sure. And I hear some of that clear path. What a, what's that simple step then? Just your your friends in Chicago is maybe the best example. What does that look like to actually just start taking some steps? Uh, whether that's already happened or they're they're obviously doing them now. For them, they were um, in Chicago, especially they were self starters. So and locals born and raised. So not mm-hmm. just people that are in Chicago, but people that have lived in the city their whole lives. So their relational network goes deep and pretty wide at the same time. So you're going to definitely skim some of that group and include them in what's already happening. 
But I guess the simple step for them, for us, was direct them to pray immediately first, start in that entry period, and then start walking in your neighborhood and praying for it, getting a feel for it. And anybody that's interested whatsoever or anybody that you know that's interested, sit them down, talk to them about discipleship, start meeting with them weekly and talking about the word, open the gospels, um, open Mark especially. It's the most action-oriented gospel that I find. We have a simple uh, compass rose that we walk people through in discipleship. Mm -hmm. So it's the same look back, look up, look forward. And then it's anchored in love. So that's the southern tip is love. So if you're looking back, it's accountability. You're looking north. What does this say about people? What does it say about God, this passage? And then going forward, what are we going to do about it? How do we obey? And then the anchor is love and, you know, how you care for people. Cool. Um, and that's been a huge tool um, that's been super effective for us, easily memorable and, and effective in our discipleship groups to just open up the word to people in their daily lives. So, yeah, I love it. So to say it another way to impact in Chicago land, it's like 9 million people or something crazy like that. What does it start with? Well, it starts with prayer. It starts with engaging the loss just right around us. And then it starts with just pointing people to Jesus through, you mentioned earlier, discovery Bible studies. And then also just that simple discipleship, taking steps of obeying Jesus and caring for each other along the way. So that's really great. Yeah, it's been it's been a fun ride. And honestly, the churches that are in different cities are starting to look a lot more biblical, I'd say now, as far as like our leadership structure. It's mm-hmm. looking a lot like us partnering with people and investing in them. You just can't know what they're doing all the time. So you have to be kind of laissez-faire about, about it, to be honest. Like mm-hmm. let the Holy Spirit be the church. And if something crazy goes down, bring some apostolic order to it. But otherwise, for the most part, you have to give them the word and say, okay, let the word do the work. And I, I just want to get to a point in my life where I'm going to sleep at night and churches get planted. Mm, amen. Yeah, it sounds a lot like the New Testament to me where Paul, I just read this morning, Paul in Acts was like, hey, let's go back and check on those churches that we started. Like literally, like he hadn't, for all we know, he had a lot, not heard of anything in Iconium or Lystra or Derby. And it's like, we should just go see it. Um, so yeah, you got to trust in the Holy Spirit. That's cool. I just love to hear a story of um, how you saw God really working uh, just in a person's life. Could be here, right where you're at, or maybe it's in one of those yeah. other places. But I'll give you two specific stories. But we had some people move here and join Salt Churches that we had known before. But what essentially ended up happening is a bunch of truth came up about their marriage um, while they're here that was not good. Um, truth, some infidelity, stuff like that. And they're in the midst of us starting this church it's a, it really is a family of you know 20 30 people at the time and these guys are sitting on our couch at 11 o'clock at night and the husband had just confessed something after they'd already been through something insane the year before and he had been holding this to himself wondering whether or not to say anything about it we talked about repentance in church and then on the ride home <laughs> he calls me and he's like hey can you talk i'm like yeah, I'm a little tired. Can I wait till tomorrow? And he's like, no, I'm at your gate. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm coming down. <laughs> and through a process of being a part of our family, really, we have an open door policy, open fridge policy. And walking out their marriage with us, it, their marriage has been completely restored. They're happier than ever. 
Um, not that happiness is necessarily the goal, but um, they're more fulfilled than mm-hmm. ever, I would say, in their marriage. And their marriage was essentially saved because they were here and part of a family that was like, everybody knows when we're walking this out together. And there's no shame involved in the situation. Mm-hmm. To a degree, I mean, you should be ashamed of yourself, but there's repentance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yep. You learn from that. And that was when I started, because I was really frustrated with our church at that point. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have any friends doing the same thing. I wasn't talking. To, I didn't have any peers doing something similar. And when I started to see that click, I was like, oh, this thing could work. And then um, we had another situation where we had one of our guys in our discipleship groups that we call fire teams. Um, it's a group of three to five men or women that are walking through the word together and doing discipleship with a facilitator or a leader. We were trying to get him out to the woods to spend some time with Jesus. And he just kept finding excuses to not get solitude, right? He was avoiding it over and over and over and over again. He's avoiding it. He's avoiding it, avoiding it. He would take trips, but he'd be like, with a bunch of people and like not really be able to center in on who he was. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we're sitting in our fire team this one morning. We're like, man, you need to stop talking about this. You need to get out and sort out whatever this identity thing is with God. And he's like, Oh, I need $900 for rent by the end of the week. I don't have, he, he didn't have a job at the time where he was just leaving on his way out of a job. And he had this presentation that was due blah, 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 all the stuff. There's always stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And two of the guys in the group look at each other and they're, they're like, I got some savings. I got some savings. By the end of the day, he had 900 bucks in his bank account plus money for gas for the trip. I had just gotten back from a solitude trip. I had a, a case in the back of my truck full of camping gear, ready to go, like fully stocked, ready to go, cleaned. My other buddy had a cooler full of food, a Yeti cooler full of food in the back of his. And we just throw it in the back of his car. We're like, you leave tomorrow. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, I like this church. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I actually, I went from like doing it because the Lord asked me to do it to like, I would never do this any other way ever at any point. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how I know in that microcosm, I was like, man, if we could just have, you know, say four to 5 million more of these, I think we could see a real transformation of the character, not just of this nation, but of, of many places mm-hmm. um, where these churches are, um, because family like that is transformational. Two things Parker said have stuck with me. First was, what do you think it's going to take to win a city like this? That question, if we're honest with ourselves, will force us to think differently. The standard way of doing ministry, the standard way of doing church in the West is not going to work to reach the millions of lost people out there. But second, he also said this, we just started, man. They had a vision, they had a clear path, and they just started taking simple steps. Maybe it's time for you to do the same. If you want to dig deeper with anything we talked about today, check out the show notes at ontheroad.feeny.com. That's on the road, all lowercase and together, dot P-H-E-A-N-E-Y dot com. If you want to leave some feedback or ask a question, you can go to that same URL and look for the jump in heading. I'm about to wrap up season one. I have a couple of ideas for season two, but I would love to hear from you. What topics, questions, or people in No Place Left, or as we heard today, people that are just pursuing movement, would you like to hear more about? 
let me know. This is Feeney. Thank you for listening. Keep sharing the gospel, making disciples, reproducing leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. for tuning in today. We hope you feel inspired, encouraged, and empowered to change the world for the name of Jesus. Make sure to tune in and listen to our other podcasts and download our app, Salt Churches, found on iTunes. We hope to see you and hear from you soon. Thanks. Have a great day.